Voice of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This sermon from Sunday, October 2nd, explores this Exodus story of Passover and what it all means for you in your life of faith. <laughs> Got a speeding ticket coming down this morning. <laughs> One of you, and I've forgotten who, because... Uh, I see we've all given up on wearing name tags, and that's all, that's all right. I got a good couple weeks out of you. Um, and so a, friend, a new friend whose name eludes me told me last week, um, you could slow down a little bit on your delivery. Um, I'm not, this is a little bigger room than I'm accustomed to, and so it's a little delay. And I'm also not accustomed, uh, I'm still a little shy with my humor because I don't know if you really laugh, and so I tend to have those throwaway lines that drop off at the end. And so I'm trying to slow down and be present. I even had a stick-it note on my door here on the way out of my office saying, slow down, uh, to remind myself. And then, uh, and then everyone knows 285 should be 65, not 55, but there it is. And I just, just found out that uh, starting tomorrow, there's a new construction project going on. Oh, joy, right where 85 meets uh, 470. Uh, that's, it's okay, it's only, only going to take three years apparently. <laughs> but there's more motivation for me to speed up with my process, speed up with my time at New Hope. Uh, so uh, thank you for this morning, Lord, this wonderful privilege. Help me slow down and be present with these beloved brothers and sisters you've given us into each other's keeping for these seasons. Uh, thank you. Amen. This is World Communion Sunday around the whole planet, Christians said. Wouldn't it be great if at least once a year we kind of were new one another, we're at table together. So theologically, I love preaching about a deep and broad table. That's all about inclusion. But on World Communion especially, we say, wow, there's people at this table that I don't even want to be with. There's people at this table that stretch beyond my comfort zones and what I've already decided who are really deserving of God's grace and really committed disciples of Jesus Christ. Today, uh, broken and poured out, uh, that's all of us. Uh, and a little confessional today because I struggle with elements of my faith. I struggle with elements of our tradition and never more so than a central doctrine that comes awkwardly today in this morning's story. Um, I mentioned a couple weeks back as pulling Moses out of the water, uh, what we draw out of our tradition and choose to carry with us, I'm, that's foremost in my mind this morning because there's pieces I want to leave behind pieces I really struggle with and deeply question. This is a picture of hyssop. Um, it's called paintbrush sometimes. We have on the hills around us a uh, red paintbrush as well. And you'll see it's a very floppy plant, uh, wonderful for painting. And this is our story this morning as we're in Exodus. And I've got some questions about, we're at plague number 10 if you've been tracking a horrific schedule of a plague number 10. Here's one thing I was appreciating as Rick was doing such a great job of reading Exodus 1 through 
11 unfolds like a story is told in narrative fashion this happened then so-and-so said this then this happened and this happened and this happened and starting with this morning's text something really different happens it says when you celebrate this festival when you get together to eat make sure it's an unblemished lamb or actually it said it didn't matter if it was sheep or goats that's interesting Uh, how to cook it how to prepare it what to wear, what you're remembering. We are in a different category this morning, uh, and we didn't even get to it follows next, but I'm going to skip it. Um, The actual event is only about a paragraph long, shorter than what you heard this morning, of God coming through, the angel of death, and all the firstborn are killed. What you heard this morning was the church service, was Nick's flow sheet for us worship leaders. Here's how to do it. Here's what happens. Cook it in this way, not in oil, roast it over the fire, make it hurry. And we've suddenly jumped into a, ex- a recipe book rather than narrative. Wow. It's arguably the central event story. I shouldn't say that. I've been saying that for a while. Next week, we finally get to the beginning, if you've been paying attention. Next week, we can finally get to, I consider, the originating event of you and me. Um, at the crossing of the Red Sea and right thereafter. Today is the culminating event of God's action decisively in these plagues. It's a horrific event. The hyssop is used, as it was explained, to do this, to wipe the blood across the lentil, the doorpost, uh, so that you can be skipped um, as God comes through. Skip ahead to John. We'll be here whenever Lent happens. I haven't looked at the calendar. John alone, who refers to Christ as the Lamb of God, says that on a, they put on a branch of hyssop a sponge. A branch of hyssop isn't going to hold a sponge even dry, let alone soaked in vinegar. John's speaking theologically rather than historically. We've got to remember that. This whole agenda here this morning and for much of my ministry to try to get us to read more carefully, to try to get a deeper sense of what we're pulling forward in our tradition and what we're noticing is this morning, um, oh yeah, evil, wrong, and how we carry that forward since we don't get to just pick and choose, we've got to make some sense of it. Uh, this event with painting um, and death. 2008, isn't that when the sanctuary was made? One, I might have met one of you 14 years ago. I brought, uh, I brought my elders from Genesis in Littleton all the way down here. I hope I fed them first, I don't know. Uh, and we came down to look at your entryway. We came down to look at architecture, see how it was done because we were thinking up at Genesis where I was pastor for 17 years uh, of redoing our interway and we had seen pictures and heard so we came down and I've always been struck with New Hope's openness and the beauty of getting people in here that informs my theology as well 2017 I think is when you hosted Presbytery and I was so struck uh, with music from the choir and a band and a little jazz thing Nick did. It was a wonderful event, uh, and it was my second exposure uh, to New Hope. Um, you guys have been in here and here a long time, actually. 
And if you listen to podcasts, or if you can just find your way to our website, go look on podcasts and you'll see I made a goofy little 15-minute walkthrough, a little episode of my first impressions of the building, since I'm meeting you and we're still starting out on our journey into the wilderness. I made my first impressions of all sorts of aspects. Go and find that. Uh, Jordan and I are talking about uh, making a new podcast uh, series coming up. And then just while we're in newsy events, uh, next week's Q&A after worship here, um, I'd like to give you, and I'm sure Jordan, Jordan will be back then and we'll be helping together with some of the core pieces we want to draw from New Hope's past that we need our newly forming PNC to make sure they're carrying forward when they start talking to candidates. Uh, fortunately, by the way, you as a church in session and board of deacons, et cetera, did some good work in the fall of 21 that I just recently discovered on my network computer and said, wow, here's some good visioning, some good recent pieces, assessments of who we are, all this, right? Who we've been, who we are, how that might informed who we're trying to be for New Hope uh, surrounding community, uh, what we'd want that PNC to be describing um, to a candidate for a permanent uh, pastor. So we've been making our way through Genesis, uh, Exodus, these first parts. Last week I was defending Pharaoh a bit because of God's agency. God kept hardening Pharaoh's heart. I was using that as a little bit of a uh, poke in the chest at you as well. God needs to harden some of us too, especially in times of transition. So that even if things don't happen smoothly or even if changes come, He's not even wearing a robe this morning. It's communion. That has more to do with playing guitar than anything else. Uh, but nonetheless, we might toughen up a little bit and say we're trying to go into a new territory as a church and we need to be tougher. If we're going to go around uh, putting all our feelings first and all our toes to get stepped on first, there's plenty of energy in this room to arrest the process and make it extremely difficult to grow and be clear about what we value and who we want to lead us. Instead, uh, God does some tough things to us, maybe for some good reasons. Uh, this assessment, like I was mentioning at the start, this is a typical thing of how I preach, um, a kind of close reading of a text, a kind of interrogation sometimes of the text. Worth it. We've already had, uh, speaking of crucifixion, we've already had the darkness, and now, uh, now God is killing the firstborn uh, throughout Egypt. Um, yeah. Uh, daughter Kate, my daughter, that's Reverend, Doc, Reverend, no, I'm Reverend, she's Dr. Kate Schmidt, to you. She's, she teaches philosophy at Metropolitan State in Denver. You think I'm a nerd? Come on. <laughs> and if you've ever taken any philosophy, you might recognize this as the trolley problem. I kid you not, she still uses it. The trolley problem is where you ask, uh, Kate teaches uh, computer ethics and medical ethics. Wow. In the trolley problem, which is still functional, uh, you put yourself at the lever of the trolley. Here comes the trolley, uh, going to run over five people. You have the capacity to flip the switch and change that trolley's path so it kills one person. What do you do? Uh, when I was in the junior high, we 
talked a lot about situational ethics were all around in the church and people were very anxious about, was it letting go of absolutes to say that it mattered what the setting was and who? Of course it matters. Of course that has to inform us. With the trolley problem, there's just a ton of variations that can get at different systems of philosophical, moral, ethical thinking. What is right? What is allowed? For example, almost everyone will say, yes, it is the ethical thing to do to choose to kill the one. Ouch. Um, most people will also say it's prohibited if you're standing next to the lever and some unsuspecting person is standing next to you, prohibited to shove the person so they fall into the lever. <laughs> Comical, silly thinking uh, that goes right to the heart of what do you mean by being ethical and right? How do you make your decisions? How are you going to claim your own agency? What are you trying to avoid? What is right? What is wrong? What made me think about this this week is in every philosophy conversation I've had, we often search for absolutes. And uh, one of the things that will come up is someone will say, well, murder is always wrong. And quickly they'll be shot down to say, well, how about someone comes into your household? How about this? Warfare, etc." Um, and then someone will say something like, and don't worry, this is, we're not on a, an abortion sermon this morning. <laughs> don't worry. No, I'm not that dumb. I've only been here five weeks. Uh, <laughs> they'll say something like, well, it's always wrong to kill innocent children. How could it ever be right to do that? I agree with that. How could it ever be right? And so I want to trust you and me to be, because we were sitting next to each other in those conversations, to wonder at how wrong and evil God is in this morning's story. What I know to be right, what I know to be wrong. How are we supposed to bring this forward? It's sometimes listed in what we call a text of terror uh, in the Bible, and there's a number of them that we say, wow, this is really not, I, I guarantee you, Allie's not teaching this Bible story this morning downstairs. <laughs> I teased her about it earlier. Um, we know why. We know why, because the moral of the story uh, is really amiss. And if you're like me, the orthodox teaching around this is woefully inadequate, um, less than ethical. You know who gets this right? Uh, 22 years, three years ago in 1999, I think, Disney's animated picture, Prince of Egypt, stirring great music, great Disney. And as the plagues came on, I could feel myself getting anxious, thinking, how will they play this? Because it's good and bad, it's Pharaoh's the bad guy. They didn't go into Pharaoh's agency or God hardening his heart, all that stuff. It's very black and white. We're the good guys, we're the Hebrew children, we're being persecuted, we're enslaved, we need to be freed to go worship God and go move in the wilderness, etc. We're starting our journey in the wilderness, really. Um, and here is what Pharaoh is doing with the soldiers, it's awful, we're trying to get back. And then in this one event, at the very culmination, right at the Passover, right at this morning's text, it's played in silence and sad music and weeping. And I remember sitting in the theater with my small children thinking, thank you. Thank you for honoring a difficult story. Um, thank you for not making it 
triumphalistic as we finally escape, but rather this horrific sense of grief at the death and destruction. It's at the awesomeness of God, the power of God. Um, And again, we won't dwell on this this morning, but lest you think, because I was raised this way, well, the Old Testament is law, the New Testament is grace. That's nonsense, by the way. There's plenty of law in Jesus' mouth. Wow. We tend to skip those passages as well because they're hard to preach on. And there's plenty of grace and new starts in the Old Testament. Uh, But we ought to be thinking, we ought to be thinking of the cross this morning, not just because of the hyssop, but because uh, the story of the virgin birth uh, is on one level a story of a biological weird miracle. We can talk about that later. Uh, One of the meanings of that virgin birth, though, is really um, simply to make sure we know that... uh, Jesus has siblings. We find him in the Gospels, brothers and sisters, James, etc. We know he has brothers and sisters. One of the meanings, I would suggest, the prime meaning of the virgin birth um, is to let us know he's a firstborn. Not that there's anything miraculous going on with Mary. We can talk about that later. We know from the virgin birth story that he's a firstborn and anyone, especially in Matthew, And anyone who knows the story goes, oh, we know what God can do to firstborns. So it's not my gig. It's not my, I was going to say not my circus, not my monkeys. Um, But it is. And it's because of this table. When I agreed to be ordained and got the right to, uh, to wear these things and to uh, do these things, I automatically talked about lordship, automatically talked about this isn't Don Shrum's church, thank God, uh, but that what happens to us as we subsume our own faith and thinking and questions uh, to something bigger, something broader, in this case, the mystery of God, in this case, the absolute legitimate repulsion I have about our scripture this morning, my disgust at a God who would do that to make a point, wow. And I put beneath that mystery my own brokenness and my own being poured out. The title this morning is because... uh, I'm thinking of those bodies. I'm thinking of Christ's body or Jesus' body. I'm thinking about this body and how to make sense of it. And in the end, what I try to come up with is I recognize in my own hesitation, I recognize in my own adolescent rebellion, how I teach sometimes, uh, a call to discipleship. And so that's the invitation as well to you. If you've ever had questions about God's morality, if you've ever recognized uh, corruption in our texts, big questions, theological questions about what's going on. This is is your meal. Your, Your timing is perfect. If you've ever wondered about the historicity of these events, saying, wait a minute, 
Don just described how really this is a liturgical text describing a ceremony. Later on, there's the history of the events. What is the ceremony that draws us together? Why would the writer of Exodus put forward the recipe? Why would the writer put forward a description of a worship event and a family event? This is what has bound us for a long time. Passover is the thing that ties us together. We're still doing it. And yes, uh, the story and the philosophy behind it is deeply problematic. We'll talk in Lent about some other understandings of atonement, of what God is doing in Jesus Christ for you and me. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.